Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the first quarter 2021 results conference call for Canadian Utilities Limited. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Miles Dugan, Director, Investor Relations and External Disclosure. Please go ahead, Mr. Dugan. Thank you, Claudia. Good morning, everyone. We're pleased you could join us for our first quarter 21 conference call. With me today is Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Dennis de Champlain. Dennis will begin today with some opening comments on our recent company developments and our financial results. Following prepared remarks, we will take questions from the investment community. Please note that a replay of the conference call and a transcript will be available on our website at canadianutilities.com and can be found in the investor section under the heading events and presentations. I'd like to remind you all that our remarks today will include forward-looking statements that are subject to important risks and uncertainties. For more information on these risks and uncertainties, please see the reports filed by Canadian Utilities with Canadian Securities Regulators. And finally, I'd also like to point out that during this presentation, we may refer to certain non-GAAP measures, such as adjusted earnings, adjusted earnings per share, funds generated by operations, and capital investment. These measures do not have any standardized meaning under IFRS, and as a result, they may not be comparable to similar measures presented in other entities. And now I'll turn the call over to Dennis for his opening remarks. Thanks, Miles, and good morning, everyone. Thank you all very much for joining us today on our first quarter 2021 conference call. Canadian Utilities achieved adjusted earnings of $191 million, or $0.70 cents per share, in the first quarter of 2021, which is $12 million, or $0.04 cents per share, higher than the first quarter of 2020. The $12 million growth in first quarter earnings was in part as a result of cost efficiencies and continued growth in the regulated rate base in our Alberta utilities. Our Australian natural gas utility also had earnings growth this quarter from a higher inflation rate and a stronger Australian dollar compared to our Canadian currency. Economic activity in Western Australia has really improved over the last couple quarters. Mining activity has been picking up due to increasing iron ore and copper prices, and the Australian economy appears to be improving. Hopefully, this trend continues through 2021. In Puerto Rico, we continued operations and maintenance transition work and are preparing to assume full operation of the electricity transmission and distribution system in June. In our energy infrastructure business, higher earnings were due to demand for natural gas storage services 
and recovered business development costs. Our resilient financial performance this quarter is a continuing testament to our business model, as well as our people who remain focused on delivering reliable service to our customers. On the regulatory front, we are seeing a return to prospectivity with a number of positive decisions received in March. We received a decision from the Alberta Utilities Commission, or AUC, approving our electricity transmission revenues until the end of 2022. We also received a decision from the AUC approving revenues for, for our natural gas transmission business until the end of 2023. In the distribution utilities, the AUC initiated a process to set customer rates for 2023. This process will also determine the regulatory framework for the distribution utilities after 2023. And last, but certainly not least, the AUC was certainly busy this last quarter, they issued a 2022 generic cost of capital decision, extending the current return on equity of 8.5% and the equity thickness ratio of 37% for 2022. Having clarity into the future from these regulatory decisions helps us plan more effectively, creates a more stable business environment that encourages investment, and creates certainty for our customers. We do recognize that the economic situation currently here in Alberta uh, is presenting many hardships as a result of the pandemic, and it's been very challenging for our customers. In March, we filed a 2021 rate relief application for electricity distribution and natural gas distribution to postpone rate increases for all of 2021. We propose to collect the deferred amounts commencing in 2023 while this application will impact Canadian utilities' cash flow in the short term, it does align with our long-standing social practice of supporting the communities we have the privilege to serve. In terms of capital investment, we invested $220 million this quarter in our core utility businesses to generate stable earnings and reliable cash flows, and we continue to explore opportunities in renewable energy. A recent example of this is our newly announced agreement to acquire the rights to develop the 325 megawatt Central West pumped hydro storage project, which is located 175 kilometers west of Sydney, Australia. This acquisition marks our first renewable energy investment on Australia's east coast. The project is close to significant renewable energy resources and would support the development of new renewable generation capacity in the state of New South Wales. A final investment decision on the project is not expected until 2023. All in all, Canadian Utilities had a solid first quarter of 2021. All of our businesses performed very well, and we received important regulatory decisions which allow us to plan more effectively for the future. That concludes my prepared remarks, and I'll turn it back over to Miles. Uh, thank you, Dennis. Um, in the interest of time, we will ask you to limit yourself to two questions. If you have additional questions, you're welcome to rejoin the queue. I'll turn it over to the conference coordinator now for questions. Thank you. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. 
to withdraw your question, please press star then 2. Webcast participants are welcome to type their question in the Ask a Question box and hit Submit. The Canadian Utilities Investor Relations team will follow up with you by email after the call. Once again, anyone on the conference call who wishes to ask a question may press star and 1 at this time. Our first question is from Mark Jarvie with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, first question, Dennis, is on, on Luma, the joint venture. You alluded to the fact that you'll take over the 15-year 1M agreement move out of the transition phase. Just can you give us an update in terms of where you are on the incentive criteria and also just prep a, coming out of bankruptcy? I believe that was one of the criteria in terms of where you are in terms of that transition work. Uh, good morning, Mark, and thanks for the question. Sorry, what criteria? What was the, the first question? The incentive criteria. I think there was some debate around what were some of the, the incentive metrics, um, which would determine your ability to earn a bit more um, under okay. that contract. And bankruptcy. Okay, got you. Um, yeah, Luma, Luma uh, our joint venture with Quantum Services to um, to run the, the Puerto Rico T&D systems. Uh, our, our CEO, Wayne Stensby, you know, usually, usually starts off most of the meetings with the safety moment and then reminds us how many days uh, until the end of front-end transition. And we're, uh, we're 33 days out right now. The, uh, those incentive criteria that you're talking about, Mark, you know, we have filed all of that with the uh, Puerto Rico Energy Bureau, the PREB, uh, the equivalent to the AUC of the regulator down there. And we filed that back in February. They have yet to make a final determination as to you know what those incentive criterion, the, uh, the the base amounts will be set at. So we don't know that yet. Um, uh, I was talking to the guys yesterday and over the weekend, and there is a there is a line of sight to get those approvals from the PREB um, by June one. So uh, unfortunately, we don't know now, uh, and we do expect to receive the ruling from the PREB before, uh, before the end of the front-end transition. In terms of bankruptcy, um, the, uh, the PREB is still, uh, PREPA, sorry, the Puerto Rico Power Authority, um, they're, they're in bankruptcy. We anticipate that they will, they will continue to be in bankruptcy. Um, there are provisions in the agreement that we can exit the front-end transition and uh, and enter into operations under a supplemental agreement um, and until the uh, until PREPA does come out of bankruptcy. So we anticipate that uh, that in June, when we get the keys, they'll still be in bankruptcy. Uh, views right now as to when they uh, could come out of bankruptcy, we anticipate that uh, sometime next year. And once they do come out of bankruptcy, can you can you explain in terms of how that you move back and forth between the supplemental? Is it sort of immediate? Is it 
subsequent quarter. Just wondering if there's any sort of time lag in terms of how you transition between these two different types of structures or contracts. Anything? Yeah, I'm not sure as to the exact date, um, but we we will, I'll say, immediately. I don't know if that's the following month. Uh, I don't think it's the quarter. But we, when we come out of the supplemental agreement, we would enter contract year one, and that contract year would run until, it would say it's January 1 of next year, contract year one would run from January until the end of June, and then we would get into contract year two of the agreement and, uh, and go on that 12-month cycle from there. So it wouldn't necessarily extend the full duration of the O&M agreement? Uh, well, to the it, it depends on how long we stay in um, we stay operating under the supplemental agreement. You know, if we're operating for for a year under the supplemental agreement, and then you know we have a, a 11 months of the of contract year one, um, it could extend it. But you know, you're you're only really talking about a, a year. Got it. And, and then your comments about. Australia and the results out of the international gas distribution showed really strong year over year improvement. You talked about the commodity market impacts. So the view would be that you've kind of hit a bit of an inflection and this is sustainable for that business. And then maybe beyond just your existing assets, your views in terms of willingness to deploy more capital in Australia, whether on regulated assets or contracted assets. Are, are you sort of more constructive on that market today than you would have been a few months ago or a few quarters ago? Um, with, with regards to Australia, I mean, that inflection point, I mean, because they are regulated based on um, a, a real return to convert the earnings into nominal, it, uh, it's kind of dependent on the Australian CPI. And, you know, last year, I think the total CPI for the year was 0.3%. Uh, and that's what we had recorded in, in Q1. And then the, the bottom uh, came out when COVID hit, and there there was no no overall inflation for the remaining three quarters of 2021. Uh, for this this first quarter, the inflation rate in Australia was 0.6 percent for just for the first quarter. Um, so that's the kind of like the uplift year over year. The big banks down there they're forecasting about uh, you know a two to two and a half percent. Uh, inflation rate for the year. Um, we we were kind of thinking that the inflation rate for Q1 would have been a little bit higher. Um, there were some federal and state subsidies to keep the, the cost of new dwellings down um, year over year. Um, so that, that may have, uh, well, that, that did mute the, the CP, the overall CPI for the, for the first quarter. But given the, uh, you know, as I mentioned in the in the opening remarks, the the copper and iron ore prices down there, um, it's um, I'm not going to say it's booming. Uh, our guys down there would say it's booming. Um, you know, it's uh, getting getting berths for the uh, for the ships to land pipe, and we're seeing increases in cost of pipe. They're they're all manageable increases, but just that that real heightened activity um, gives us uh, gives us. Uh, some some tailwind, as I'm going to say, for uh, for Australia the rest of this year, certainly. In terms of uh, kind of redeploying capital in uh, kind of the uh, either the regulated or non-regulated space, 
um, you know, I think we've been uh, we've been consistent where we we have been saying that you know we are looking to uh, expand geographically. We're looking to expand into kind of more uh, renewable power generation. The example of the Central West pumped hydro. Um, and it's very early days on that project. Uh, FID isn't expected for a few years yet. Um, just goes to show our willingness to deploy capital in that area. There, there's a lot of um, uh, items on that particular project that we need to to get comfortable with. But um, yeah, we are uh, we are comfortable in uh, in deploying capital in that. In that zone, probably more in the non-reg area as, as opposed into the uh, the regulated, given the um, the low uh, rates of return that we have down there. Got it. That's very helpful. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks, Mark. Our next question is from Linda Erzegailis with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, just to build on, on Mark's question about, uh, you know, geographic uh, expansion and opportunities, um, sometimes it's also interesting to hear what you're not commenting on in your uh, prepared remarks. And I'm just wondering if you can also touch on, you know, some of the recent developments in Mexico and how that might change your outlook for either new investments or the merits of potentially exiting your presence there entirely. Um, also, um, your, one of your affiliates um, in ATCO uh, Structures and Logistics, um, um, as well as um, some other investments you have in South America uh, through your affiliate, or your affiliate has. I'm just wondering uh, what the opportunities there might be long-term for energy infrastructure in South America for Canadian utilities and then in the mix, uh, closer to home, uh, while uh, short-term in Western Canada, there are some uh, challenges, unfortunately, related to the pandemic. Uh, we are seeing uh, more than green shoots uh, in the oil and gas industry uh, and initiatives there to make uh, transitions to lower-intensity um, energy sources long-term as well. So can you comment on uh, the relative uh, scale of opportunities and how you see those having uh, shifted recently? Um, thanks, Linda. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't put too much stock in the, in the stuff that I don't say, um, <laughs> but I will, uh, I, will, I will get to, the, to Mexico. Yeah, I mean, Mexico's been uh, been very tough for us. I mean, we still have um, an outstanding arbitration uh, decision award on the Tula pipelines. Um, you know, we I, I, I kid our guys. You know, we keep getting updates, and it's going to be this quarter, and then it's going to be you know the following quarter and the following quarter, um, and they're uh, they're taking their time getting to that ruling, um, and that was permitting delays, and. You know, in our in our MD&A this quarter, we've uh, we've mutually agreed to cancel our agreement with Comores um, due to permitting um, issues. So there's a, a little bit of a recurring theme. You know, we we got all of our money out from that uh, Comores investment, so we are so we are covered there. But given those uh, experiences. Um, you know, we are we are probably waiting to redeploy 
capital into into Mexico. Um, on the structures, on the ATCO side with structures, uh, there isn't uh, there isn't a concern with the um, the, the Mexican environment. They are. Uh, Subsidiary down there is, um, is is doing well and getting new orders and, and kind of expanding their uh, their line of business. So there isn't a concern on the um, on the structure side. Um, in in LADAM, you know, we are continuing to explore you know other renewable energy projects um, down there. You know, the the announced Central West Pump Hydro in Australia isn't the only we'll call it iron in the fire that we have. We do have other projects that we are looking at um, in in the region, but certainly the, uh, the we'll call it those those permitting issues. You know, we are uh, particularly attuned to as we uh, as we look to to further build out our businesses there. In terms of Western Canada and the the, the green shoots, the oil and gas, or the movement to uh, uh, lower intensity, I mean, there's. Um, uh, there's great opportunity here. You know, we uh, we we could be uh, uh, a major hub for blue hydrogen. You know, we've been uh, ha we've had hydrogen blending in Australia for a number of years for our clean energy innovation hub, and now Park. We do have a blending project in Fort Saskatchewan, a small blending project um, with with hydrogen. So. When it comes to the renewable energy space um, with the decarbonization uh, of our uh, energy that we provide for our customers, it's certainly uh, an area that we are looking at um, and we think we could add, add a lot of value, um, in, especially in the Alberta marketplace, given, uh, given our footprint that we have here. Uh, and in terms of um, organic opportunities, um, you know, clearly um, uh, those uh, are have historically been a focus, and I expect would continue to be. But but what are you thinking in terms of maybe portfolio management? Uh, just as a follow-up question to my prior one, um, portfolio management in terms of what might be a little bit less core uh, versus where you might um, fill in. Uh, some uh, white space uh, in your uh, current uh, uh, core strategy and, and operations in terms of potentially some uh, acquisition opportunities um, as they might arise opportunistically. Yeah, um, we we like we we like the cards that we're holding right now in the um, in the energy infrastructure space with regards to. You know our uh, our storage facilities and processing facilities that we have here in Alberta. If we're if we're looking for any kind of a white space, um, kind of small tuck-in acquisitions, you know we could be looking for um, call it late-stage solar wind developers in order to add to our um, renewable energy portfolio. So if that in terms of portfolio management. Those would be one of the areas that we would uh, that we would be looking at to to round out our product offerings. Thank you. Um, my second question relates to the uh, Alberta regulatory environment. Uh, definitely positive to see it uh, moving to more prospective uh, decisions. 
Uh, and in fact, uh, the fact that they are now contemplating uh, what sort of regulatory framework um, might be uh, appropriate for the distribution utilities in the province um, for 2023. I'm wondering, in a perfect world, uh, what uh, Canadian Utilities views to be, um, you know, if, if, if you can influence that decision or, or advocate for something, um, how do you see uh, an appropriate regulatory framework evolving beyond 2023 in Alberta? Um, are, are you referring to the distribution side of the house or the transmission side or? Um, I was referring oh. to distribution, but if you want to expand uh, your response to include transmission, I'd, I'd be interested as well. Um, yeah, it was uh, very pleased with the uh, the progress that the AEC has made in uh, in their efforts and actions to reduce the uh, red tape and to try to help expedite uh, approvals to get back to prospectivity. Uh, our natural gas transmission business has had uh, kind of more success than on the electricity transmission side. Uh, all the bright lights were on trans electricity transmission as we went through the big build. And I think there is a little bit of uh, infrastructure that was built up weighing uh, that regulatory process down. We're happy that we have three-year test years for both of those businesses in order to help maintain that prospectivity. On the distribution side, uh, again, a 2023 one-year cost of service application that the Commission is looking to hear for all of the distribution utilities. And we've all put in our comments as to what we would like to see, whether it's a full-scale uh, cost of service review, detailed line by line, or more of an expedited hybrid between uh, detail and uh, leveraging, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the costs that we, we have incurred. The, the fact that the AUC has asked for a one-year cost of service, in my mind, leads to a transition into PBR3. If they didn't think there were merits in PBR, I suspect they would have gone back to uh, a longer cost of service term for the distribution utilities. So while I don't want to handicap the outcome, uh, I do believe that it will end up as a, as a return to a kind of a third generation uh, PBR. And then it gets to the devil is in the detail. The going in rates will be fundamental to whether we have an opportunity to earn a, a fair return on our capital, especially given the changes that we're seeing in the industry on the electricity side. There's a lot of modernization that needs to be done to the grid to allow for bi-directional flow of the electrons on the gas side. Uh, additional investments to allow for the blending of the gas system with uh, renewable energy to help lower emissions. So we would be looking 
to allow for those types of uh, new investments and not be hamstrung with what has been done in the past. And the only other element that, that we would like to see or are on our wish list or which we think is uh, imminently prudent is to allow us for the adjustment to our depreciation rates to allow for the mitigation of the prudent the risk uh, against prudent cost recovery to ensure that we, we don't get hit with any extraordinary retirements uh, without uh, legislative change. We're continuing to work with the Alberta government, the uh, Department of Energy and what have you in order to get uh, amendments to the legislation to allow for the recovery of our prudent costs and uh, that's been a, a, a long-term goal, and we continue to, to work on that with the powers that be. Thank you for Thanks, that. Thanks, Linda. Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. Our next question is from Matthew Leitz with IA Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. I'll just ask a couple uh, really quick here. Uh, I, I was just wondering, with the postponement of, of rate increases to help customers out, uh, you're saying that's kind of going to be a, a bit of a short-term impact on, on the cash flow. Does that impact the earnings profile at all in the short term? It does not impact uh, – sorry, thank you for the question, Matthew. It does not impact our adjusted earnings. We'll re continue to record the impact um, – we'll, we'll continue to record the revenues – for the, that rate increase on an adjusted earnings basis. For the IFRS statements, we don't record the revenue until it's billed. So that would not be in the IFRS revenue, IFRS earnings, but it will be in the adjusted earnings. Okay, thanks for the clarity on that. Uh, and just my second uh, question was, was just about the, the natural gas transmission general rate application for for 21 to 23, it looks like there was a bit of an impact from sort of some uh, uh, cost savings being passed on to the rate payers now. Um, was that uh, something that, that can be expected to continue through, through the rate period um, as uh, you work through 2021 20, to 2023 and, and continue to impact the rate profile uh, in the, the transmission there? Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, that it will continue to uh, impact it. We always see the savings flowing through to customers and that's exactly how the regu regulatory compact is set up. Uh, whenever we have a, a, a reset, there typically is um, the, the flowing of the benefits through during the test period through to customers. The challenge for us and our management is to restock the shelves for uh, new savings. And that's what the, the management team and the, the gas transmission business uh, has always done and is continuing to, to look at. So over the last 10 years, you know, we've consistently um, we'll say out, outperformed the approved return on equity despite these uh, rate resets where we um, flow the flow the savings back through to, to customers. So while our 2021 
to 23 earnings won't enjoy the benefit of the of those cost efficiencies that were identified in prior years they are identifying new cost savings example of that is uh, uh, workforce asset management systems uh, on the gas side and on the electricity side covering T and D uh, to allow for the we'll call it more uh, effective management of the assets and more effective management of our people who are uh, maintaining those assets. So. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I'll uh, turn the call back. Thanks, Matthew. Our next question is from Andrew Koska with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, Dennis, could you maybe just give us a bit of a dis discussion around how you think about carbon as it relates to future capital investments or acquisition potential. And I ask the question just in part because you've obviously gone through a, a really meaningful decarbonization effort with the sale of the coal plants you know, a while back. And then how do you really line up just prospective investments? And I know you mentioned renewables, you have some focus on that, but looking at energy infrastructure or you know, maybe more carbon carbon intensive utilities on an acquisition basis that have a path to become much cleaner. If you could just give us some color on that, that'd be great. Um, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, if, if we got presented with an opportunity to buy a, a vertically integrated utility with a whole bunch of coal um, and a path to decarbonization, I think maybe a few years ago we would have we would have looked at that path. Um, right now, uh, the the leaning, I'll say, is more towards uh, renewable energy. Uh, when the when coal was in the crosshairs to uh, to get those emissions out of the out of the uh, energy chain, uh, many thought that natural gas would just be the the next coal. And that appears to, to be the case you know, for uh, striving to meet uh, kind of net zero targets or 45% uh, reduction in carbon emissions to do it with uh, more uh, natural gas fire generation um, may not uh, achieve the results for, for long-lived assets. So for that reason, we're, we're more focused on the renewable side as opposed to either greenfield or acquisitions of uh, a carbon intensive business on the on the energy infrastructure side okay that's very helpful and then, and then um, you did mention some comments around you know, shorter duration projects uh, or potential acquisitions on the renewable side if you could maybe just give us a bit of color on the balancing app is you clearly got the pump storage project into the future, you've had other long-dated projects in the past you know, that you know, didn't work out on, on the hydro side. Um, but I'm just sort of curious, how do you think about the balancing act of, you know, clearly the group always has had a long-duration view and has really played through cycles, but we see pockets of frenetic activity on shorter-duration renewables, but prospectively some really interesting opportunities on a longer-duration basis. You know, how do you bridge that or how do you balance that from a capital allocation perspective? Yeah, I, I mean, in order to get into that um, renewable space, 
to be uh, ha have projects and to be able to go market uh, power purchase agreements with customers, you need some generation to, to go market. If we started to do the wind studies and solar studies now, it would take um, quite a bit of time before we we had an opportunity to redeploy that capital into the new areas. For that reason, you know we are looking at uh, late stage projects that are under development uh, through acquisition. We'll say similar to the uh, to the group in Australia where we just acquired acquired some rights. Um, we can, we'll say, bridge some of that gap and get uh, the shorter projects that could start to deliver earnings within, say, a year's time frame that for on projects that are almost shovel ready or are shovel ready uh, compared to the, we'll call it five, six year uh, cycle that we are continuing to look at through some of the, some of the longer plays like the Central West, the potential for Central West Pump Hydro in Australia. Okay, thank you very much. That's, that's very helpful. Thanks, Andrew. Once again, if you have a question, please press star then one on your telephone. Our next question is from Maurice Choi with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, my first question is just, um, along the lines of capital allocation as well. And I recognize that all the commentary that you have about renewable energy and you know the market's quite attuned about where the returns are for some of those projects. And I also recognize that, you know, similar to Q4, you've repurchased some of your own shares uh, in Q1. As you look at your capital allocation options, is the MCIB something that ranks well or high on your pecking order? Put differently, what should we expect in terms of MTUIB for the, the rest of this year? Uh, or is that activity aimed at managing the stake held by ATCO and CU? Um, uh, hi, Maurice, and thanks, thanks for the question. Yeah, we, we, did, um, we did start some buybacks last year and continuing into the, the first quarter this year. And at Canadian Utilities, we haven't really done uh, any buybacks, say, in the last... 15 years or so, uh, the the primary motivation on the buybacks is to offset the dilution from stock options, and those have been accumulating over that decade and a half. What this program is is looking at is to, to I don't know, right the ship and to offset the uh, the, the dilution that that has uh, eroded to our share owners over the over the last decade and a half. You know, a lot of, uh, we'll say a lot of things got in the way, like, you know, the big build and transmission, primary primary one of them. Um, we we have purchased, I think it's about 1.8 million shares in Q1. Under the NCIB, there's about another 1.7 million shares in potential that we, that we could do until the NCIB runs out in uh, June or July. Uh, just as a matter of course, we're probably looking to renew that NCIB just as a as a matter of uh, as a matter of course but in terms of capital allocation are we are we looking at are we considering taking a big hunk of the uh, of the cash on the balance sheet and uh, and, our, and our capacity and plow it into buybacks that's not really the case so. 
And just to follow up on that, like recognizing you've got 1.7 million left, but you're renewing the NCIB, how much more do you need to do in order to offset, I guess, a decade and a half dilution? Uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll take a look at that as as we go, Maurice. Um, I suspect a fair chunk of it. Okay, I'll follow up with that um, um, off the call. Um, the second question is um, is to pick up on Puerto Rico again, and I recognize that Wayne presented at a government hearing recently, and there's been suggestions about the contract being amended, including the investment incentive criteria you you alluded to earlier. Could you help us um, understand how you now frame your earnings expectation versus when the agreement was signed? Uh, on one hand, it's likely that it's harder to achieve the incentives, but on the other hand, if you do move into the supplemental agreement, I reckon that the fees possibly could be higher than what was designated for year one. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know if it's tougher to achieve those incentives or not because the bar hasn't been set. Like, you know, as I discussed with Mark out of the out of out of the shoot, we'll see what the preb uh, kind of approves for going in uh, standards in order that we would need to uh, achieve or exceed in order to uh, earn those incentives uh, under the op under the supplemental agreement. Um, there is no uh, incentive potential because uh, it's still in bankruptcy. We don't have the uh, 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 all the means to uh, improve performance. So, in in lieu of not being able to achieve to earn incentives under the supplemental agreement, the fixed feed is higher. Um, I think all the all the contract details are out there and. You want to double double check with Miles as as to the amounts that potential is there, but in terms of the overall uh, status of the contract, it's probably fair to say that it's been uh, harder than we thought to go through the front end transition. The I think Mr. Stensby has done a, a phenomenal job uh, with the hearings and with. Uh, the, the people in Puerto Rico, we are committed and stay committed to improving the service for um, for all Puerto Ricans. And that is the primary focus. The governor has come out and, uh, and supported the agreement. Um, and we are continuing on the path with the expectation that we will exit front end transition in June. So while it's been harder, um, the end result is somewhat the same. That, uh, in terms of our kind of the returns that we would expect from that investment. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Maurice. Our next question is from Patrick Kenny with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Yeah. Good morning, guys. Um, just a quick question here on uh, given the, the strong power price environment we've seen here to date, if you're experiencing any tailwinds on your retail business, um, I know it's still a, a small contribution, but just in light of the rate freeze, you know, do you see your retail business as potentially offsetting some of your cash flow drag over the next couple of years? 
Hi, Pat. Um, good morning. Thank you for the thank you for the questions. Um, we we are seeing uh, certainly some some tailwinds uh, in our uh, in our retail business. Uh, we no longer have the, uh, the the benefit of having a uh, natural hedge on the generation side, um, to the extent that uh, our retail business have uh, you know we've locked in some fixed price contracts, then the uh, the increase to the power prices doesn't really uh, uh, help the margins. The teams have been doing a a, a great job in managing that risk. Um, you're, you're here in Calgary, you know how cold it got in February here when it was minus, I'll say 15,000 degrees. Um, and, and we weathered that, uh, that February quite well because of the, the great work that the teams had done in, uh, in, in matching up the, the cost of the electricity with the, with the sales. That, that being said, you know the the energy retail energy business is continuing to um, to chip away at market share that uh, is published um, every uh, every quarter. I think their the market share on the on the non reg side is over 10% now, uh, number three in the province, and uh, continuing to to look to grow that business. Um, increased earnings in uh, in retail energy are included in the uh, our, our corporate segment for Canadian utilities. So it it is uh, it is definitely uh, a, a bright spot, a, another bright spot in the in our first quarter results. Okay, great. Thanks for that, and yeah, thanks for keeping the uh, the lights and the heat on during February. Uh, appreciate that. Um, but just <laughs> and, and it stayed on because it wasn't me. So yeah. <laughs> that's a testament to, the, to our field people they, and our, our and our ops guys. They did a phenomenal job. For sure. Um, and then maybe just to, to tie a bow on the um, the net cash flow drag, if you will. But it, does that change any of the funding plan going forward? And maybe you can just update us on uh, what we can expect on the debt issuance front through the the back half of 2021. Yeah, the impact from that rate freeze is um, between 110 and 120 million dollars in rate increases that we would forego in 2021, looking to recover them in 2023 over a uh, time period yet to be determined. We would look to finance that with uh, short-term debt and cover it off that way. You know, our, our five our five-year cost uh, is hovering around I think one point. 1.5, 1.6%, uh, give or take. The the interest that we would earn um, from the commission, you know, we'd be looking at around a 2% mark. So we'll call that cost of the financing uh, would be covered uh, by customers at a at a very low rate. So that's our proposal. Um, we expect a decision here imminently. Yesterday I heard it could be within a week. So we'll, we'll get clarity on that, but we, we wouldn't look to impact CU Inc.'s long-term financing as a result of this uh, of this short-term relief for our customers. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Dennis. I'll leave it there. Thanks, Pat. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Miles Dugan for any closing remarks. 
Thank you, Claudia, and uh, thank you all for participating in the call this morning. We appreciate your interest in Canadian utilities, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating, and have a pleasant day. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.